Hello and welcome to another episode of Franzen's Furlong. We're on to episode 20, plus specials, of course. Um, and you join us on a very happy occasion because we actually had a, one of us had a winning nap last week, which very rarely happens, but we'll get on to that. But I am joined by my regular co-host, Rob Batterham. How are you, Rob? I'm fantastic, Dan. Um, absolutely buzzing still about Ronaldo coming back to United. Well, that big news of the week, Rob, we are going to do a section on it. Uh, I can understand your excitement. Uh, and, well, I was going to do a brief overview of how well we're doing the racing. Let's see with the racing bit. Let's kick off with the big news of the week. Ronaldo is back home. Um, obviously, wasn't the biggest transfer news of the week. That was Andre Gray leaving Watford finally after three years of pure mediocrity. But uh, Ronaldo is the marquee signing of the window. How do you feel, Rob? Just unbelievably happy I was super worried he was going to go to City and just ruin his legacy um, but I'm absolutely buzzing that he's come back to United the the two sort of peak years of his career <clears throat> sort of around 2007 2008 2009 um, well when I had a season ticket at Old Trafford and I just remember every day just every game just being like oh I'm just going to watch absolute brilliance here and and he really sort of set the Premier League on light, uh, alight. And it was sad to see him go. But obviously, he went on to even better things at Real Madrid and to a certain extent, Juventus. But he's coming back home. People are writing him off already, saying he's too old. And he's not going to cope with the Prem. But he's he's absolute class. He'll be fine. And I've put my bet on that he'll score more than 30 goals in the Prem this year. 10 to 1, which I think is... a uh, just the license to print money. Um, do, you, yeah, do you think could, he's going to play and play enough games though, for Rob, for, for, to score thirty goals? Do you think he's going to get enough games under his belt this season? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I th- he's not going to play every single game, but he's the sort of player that wants to play every game. Um, Solskjaer will sort of um, take care of him because you know he is thirty six. Is yeah, the last thing you want to do is have him get injured. And we have so, got a big squad. We have got other players that can play and need to play. Um, but I would, I would say he's going to play almost every game, other than maybe like the cold Tuesday night at Burnley. <laughs> he might get a rest then. But in fairness, United's that, record will be, be out every weekend. United's record away at some of the smaller teams. It might be the Burnleys he needs to play, and not the away at Man City's because you do all right in those games. It's the, it's the nil nil. You know, away at these places like we've seen with Southampton away this season with United, I feel like Ronaldo might be more uh, more valued there, where he can be the difference. Where Burnley defenders are going to absolutely, you know, be scared stiff of Ronaldo. I, I just feel that actually he might he might be better against those smaller teams, but we shall see. I mean, obviously playing devil's advocate here, Rob, because you know I, yeah. I need to try and um, give the balanced view as ever. Um, one of our listeners when speaking to me this week uh, from Chicago, said uh, to me he was concerned about Ronaldo coming back to United because it had been less time for Mason Greenwood and he feels like Mason Greenwood's development may be stunted by Ronaldo back. What would you say to counter that? Yeah, it's a concern. Um, but... <sighs> United, in their pomp, have always had too many attackers. And people have always said, oh, you're not going to get enough game time. But it, I don't think it's as big a deal as it, it seems. Like th- There's so many games now. Um, well, especially, season... especially when United get knocked out of the Champions League and go into the UEFA Cup. I mean, they have to play a lot of games then every year, don't they? 
Potentially, yeah. Potentially, but that's not going to happen. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Rashford's out for a bit. I think Martial's out of favour. Um, not going to play every game. Ronaldo is going to play most games. Like you're trying to slot sort of six players into four four spots in the in the front four. Um, so so if 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 I was to say to you, you've got Man City tomorrow, massive game, big Premier League matchup, top versus second or whatever it might be. I'm guessing you're playing four three three. United play that way. I think the the back five kind of picks themselves these days, don't they? Maybe the goalkeeper's up for debate, but I think the back four is pretty step. There's going to be Maguire and Varane. Um, yeah, and Shaw and Wambasaka. I think that's pretty much the back four. So midfield three. What are you going? Fernandez, Pogba, and one other. Who are you putting in there with those two? McTominay as the holding holding midfielder, probably. Interesting. Okay, and then the front three. I'm guessing Ronaldo up top, and then who are you playing on the two wings with him? Greenwood and Rashford. So Sancho doesn't get in. No, Sancho on the bench. Interesting. That's, yeah, and, it, it is, and what I find really interesting is your £80 million man's on the bench and yet you have Scott McTominay in midfield who is not an £80 million man. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting yeah. you know, selection well, dilemma you've got. We haven't got that sitting, holding midfielder of you because Fernandez and Pogba like to both go on. Yeah, that's... We don't have a world class holding midfielder. We've been playing when when he plays sort of two and two in the that position, he plays Fred and McTominay. Who are good players, but I think Fred this season has been absolutely terrible. Um I mean when you say good players, obviously you mean that in the loosest terms, I assume. Yeah, I'd say Yeah, they'd be a stalwart at Watford, but they yeah, well, they're maybe a not quite... might be pushing it. But all right, yeah, they might they might get in the Watford team. Well, Tom, Tom Cleverley was in that mould, wasn't he? And he's, he's been <laughs> no, a... mate, I'm only I'm only John, yeah, I'm only John, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, he, um, um, yeah, he of course. The, the the player that everyone forgets that we signed last year is Donny Van der Beek. Oh, of course. And yeah. he would probably, if you asked him, he would probably say he's an attacking midfielder, but he's also, you know, a very competent box to box midfielder, and I think. The fact that he's still there after this transfer window suggests that there is a plan for him. And I would want that plan to be to remould him into a holding midfield player. So you've got Michael Carrick as assistant manager and you've got Darren Fletcher as technical director, both, you know, absolute club legends and great central midfield players that he could learn from and, you know, put his mind to it. And then he'd be on the team sheet every week. Yeah, um, and then I mean, be a fan favourite. So that I mean, that's really where I think the opportunity is. Yeah, and remember, right, of course, Donny Van Der Beek, Rob is um, former Ajax captain, of course. Uh, so Absolutely. you know, he's, he's no, he's no, no, uh, you know, shrinking violet. He's going to be in there. I think he's a brilliant player, Van Der Beek, and we probably just need to. He's taken time. He obviously hasn't had the games, but you're right. He could do a job and. Purely from a from a neutral's point of view, I'd rather see Van der Beek in my midfield than McTominay or Fred. I think Van der Beek's a class player, but it's whether those three would work. McTominay just gives you a bit more protection for your back four because um, mm. you're gonna you're gonna be brilliant going forwards. You're gonna have all the pace and the youth and the vitality that those players will give you. 
And combined with Ronaldo's experience, I do think United are going to be a force to be reckoned with. I suppose the next question I have for you, Rob, is does it change your view on where United are going to finish? Come the, I know you think United are going to win the league anyway, but does it change? Does it give you even more confidence that you're going to win the league this year with Ronaldo coming to you? Yeah, it gives me huge confidence because Ronaldo has not come just to, just to you know, um, up his Instagram followers and whatever. He's come to win trophies. Mm. So he's going to be there egging everybody on, being being the motivator, being the one who's first at teaching the young guys, you know, what they need to do. So, yeah, I, I have even more confidence this yeah, season. Fantastic. Okay, we'll, well... we'll win but to I celebrate you... Ronaldo coming back, Dan, I've actually yeah. I've actually prepared a little quiz for you. Oh, excellent. Um, excellent. Fine. Yeah. So if you're ready, question one. I'm always ready, Rob. You know me. Right. Good, good. It's only four questions, but they're okay. they're with they're multiple answer questions. So anyway, question one. Ronaldo's won the Ballon d'Or five times, both when playing for Man United and for Real Madrid. Can you name the other two players that have won the Ballon d'Or whilst playing for two different clubs? Oh, for two different clubs. Now, that is an interesting angle. Yeah. Uh, it's Kevin... the, there's only three players that have done it in history. So Kevin Keegan? No. Oh, I was going to say, because he won it at Hamburg. I assume he won it at Liverpool as well. Obviously not. Uh, okay, right. Focus. Um, Zidane at Juve and Real? No. I think he came second for... Real, but only won it when he was at Juve. Oh, this is a great question. So obviously Messi's only been at Barca, so that's the thing. Um, we've got, you know, uh, I assume Figo, Real and Barca. I don't think he's won the Ballon d'Or twice though. No. Michael Owen won it once, yes. I think. Michael Owen won it once yeah. at Liverpool, or was it a Real? He won it anyway. He only won it once. Um, it was at Liverpool, yeah. Uh, right. Uh, I'm guessing. Are we going back quite a long way here? One of them is in the 70s, and one of them is in the sort of, well, late 90s, early noughties. Okay, so Ronaldo is in mm. uh, Brazilian Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah. Brazilian Ronaldo. Uh, we'll go with him. And I assume yeah, the club were correct. Barca. The year he had a Barca, and I assume the year he had. Uh, Inter or was it Madrid? It might have been either one. Inter and it was actually Inter in Madrid yeah. where he won it. He didn't win it. Win it the year he went to Barcelona under Bobby Robson and absolutely tore up the whole league. Scored fifty goals in a season. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Uh, that was ninety six. So I assume some other mug won it that year. Um, okay, right. So that's the nineties one and the seventies one. We shall Johan Cruyff, possibly yes. Ajax and Barca. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Well, twice was Barca. You had me worried there when I was coming up people like Lewis Figo and I was like, I genuinely don't think he's ever actually won <laughs> once. Um, but I was panicking with two people who have been at club, two different massive clubs. Great question. <laughs> Great question. Um, right, question two. Ronaldo won the Premier League Golden Boot in 2008, scoring 31 goals in 34 games, which is the highest goals per game ratio for a Golden Boot winner in the Prem. Can you name the other players to have scored 31 or more goals when winning the Golden Boot in the Prem, in the Prem, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of goals. How many players have done it? Four, four. Okay, so Aguero. No. Oh gosh. Okay, uh, Thierry Henry. Uh, 
Thierry Henry got 30. So Thierry Henry's not one of them. He's not one of the four because it's 31 or more. This is a hell of a question, right? Van Persie? <laughs> Van Persie also scored 30. So oh, he's not one no, of the four. you're killing me. Right. Uh, Shearer? Shearer. Shearer won it twice. Uh, 94 and 95 with over 30. But back in those days, there was more teams in the Prem. Yeah. I think it was 22 teams or 20. Oh, so this is yeah. only with 38 games, a 38 game season. Well, no, I'm including Shearer. But oh, I'm you're including Shearer. Right. that he had more right. games to play in. So, uh, okay, so Andy Cole? Andy Cole as well, yeah, from that era. Okay. Uh, Celez, Ferdinand? No. Uh, right. Uh, Yorkie? No. The yeah. other two are more modern. Okay, hold on. Um, right, let's think. Um, Aguero, Van Persie. Uh, Drogba? No. And the Chelsea never really scored that many, did they? Oh, mate, this is this is tough. And it's not Thierry. <laughs> and Drogba and Aguero, Van Persie. Uh, Salah? Salah, yeah, Mo Salah, 2018, he's got 32 goals. Oh, blimey, that's amazing. Um, and I'm guessing, I still can't get over Aguero, he's not one of them. I just assume he just, I just I love Aguero. Um, Salah, and we're going to say, uh, good dead air on the pod here. Um, we're going <laughs> to say, uh, he so- likes biting ears. Put it that oh, way. Oh, Mr. Suarez, is it? Mr. Suarez, yeah. In 2014, scored 31. Oh, that's, that's another serious question you got there, Rob. That's a brilliant question. <laughs> right. I'm not doing so well here, but I got there in the end. Right. Go on. Yeah, you're getting there in the end with a bit of help. All right. Yeah. Question number three. Question three, Dan. Um, Ronaldo is the all-time Champions League top goal scorer with 134 goals. And to put that into perspective, only eight players in history have scored 50 or more goals in Europe's top club competition. Can you name them? And my clue is that they're all from the Champions League era. OK, so I'm going to say Raul. Raul, yeah, correct. Messi. Messi, yeah, 120. Uh, Samuel Eto'o? No. Oh, OK. Uh, Thierry Omri. Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry scored 50, so he just scrapes in. Just in. Um, uh, Rude probably wasn't playing long enough for United. So we'll say Pipo Inzaghi. Well, Rude did score 56 goals, because you remember he went to Real Madrid. So Ah, uh, oh, so Rude Vanisroy is one. Banged in. Uh, yeah. And Pipo Inzaghi? No. Okay. Um, okay, uh, sugar Spain, gonna there, uh, dropper, dropper, no, he's a bit of a rogue one. Um, we'll go for Suarez, Luis Suarez, no, no, not doing well there, right? Um, I think the Madrid, so uh, Higuain, Higuain, no, that's a good guess though. Ben- Benzema. He scored twenty-four. Benzema, yes, Benzema is one. He scored seventy. He scored seventy-one goals. All right, so I'm up to five. So I've got three more to get. Um... Uh, sorry, just one more because Ronaldo is obviously one of them. Oh, okay. One of the eight. 
And I think you've got... I think I've got five, haven't I? Or five. Yeah. So I've got two more. Two more then. Okay, two more. Right, two more. And we shall go for... um, Michael Owen. Might might play too much in the UEFA Cup. No, no Michael Owen. This is tough. It's Um, only one more, Dan. We've somehow miscounted here. Okay, it's only one more. Okay, so there's seven. Cool. Um, so one more, and we're, I'm going to say Fernando Molientes. No. I'll give you a clue. He plays in Germany. Oh, uh, Lewandowski. Yes. Oh, you just forget how, just how many goals he scores. He's a brilliant player. I okay, so that was seven players in total, one being Ronaldo. Correct, yeah. Okay. Right, good final question. question. Yeah. Final question. This one might be a bit of a curveball for you. So, Ronaldo has the most Instagram followers of any person in the entire world, 334 million and counting. So, can first part of the question, can you name any other of the top five? And I know your, your popular culture knowledge is maybe not the best. <laughs> uh, what should I say, Rob? As this is not just football. This is any, anybody, is it? Yeah, um, this, is, this is any famous Instagram person in the top followers. five. This may be my favourite question I've ever got right in my life. If I get it right. Um, I'm going to say uh, Beyonce. Beyonce is number seven or eight. Seven, oh, I think. That's it. Good, very good. Uh, Barack Obama. He's got no, no idea. Um, Kanye West. This is you, no. you, you know, this is incredible scenes. Come on. Um, yeah. Uh, Kim Kardashian would be my get last guess. Yeah, number yeah, five. Come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, so give me the rest of the top five. Please, please do, and quickly. <laughs> the, the Rock is second. Nice. Ariana Grande, Kylie Jenner, Selena Gomez, and then Kim Kardashian. Fantastic. Well, thank you for letting me have Kim Kardashian. And uh, yeah. Well, there's question. another part of the question, though, Dan. So in oh, the top oh, 20. In the top yes. 20, there's three other sports people. Can you name them? And um, I might need to help you with the... With, R- oh, give you two, of them are, two of them are footballers. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, Messi. Yeah. And Neymar? Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the, the other one is a cricketer. Oh, is it Coley? Yes. <sighs> Who knew I knew so Coley, I was shocked about that. Coley's like, what, 17th in the list with 137 million followers. He's, he's India cricket captain. He's married to some Bollywood actress. So, I mean, got like yeah. a billion people in India probably who mostly follow him. So I can completely, you know, he's just, Coley's so huge in India. He really is. It's um, amazing. Yeah. Well, I did probably my best, my best round was the Instagram round, which has probably very yeah. with my football knowledge these days. Um, well, Rob, thank you very much for your <laughs> quiz. Hope everyone enjoyed it, listening in. Uh, great quiz this week. And um, I've hopefully embarrassed myself sufficiently enough that I won't be asked to do a quiz again. But Rob, <laughs> shall we... Uh, go on from the football and talk about the cricket, as we just mentioned, Virat Kohli. England are currently playing India. Um, at the time of recording, which is Friday evening, uh, we're on third session of day two. England uh, England have just been bowled out for 290, so they've got a lead of just under 100. And India have come out to bat in the third innings. How do you see the test match at the moment, Rob? Where do you think it's going to go from here? 
Um, I think this this innings is absolutely crucial, isn't it? So if we take some early wickets um, and limit India to, well, let's say 150, then you know the game's over. But if India can can get themselves in, post a big score, Kohli or you know Rohit, um, you know battle all of the all of this evening and into tomorrow, then. You could see them scoring almost 250, like the pitch looks like it's flattening out, not spinning much yet. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to, hard to say at the moment. Well, England are obviously in front. We've got 100, 100 or so run lead. Um, but it could, all, it could all change in this innings. What do you think, Dan? Uh, I think if England have to chase anything more than 200, we're not going to win. Um, and if yeah. we... If we have to chase anything more than 150, I'll be slightly worried. Anything 100 or less, I think we'll do it. So, really, we've got to look to bowl India out for less than 250. As you said, the pitch is flattening out. I've just seen Jimmy Anderson bowl the first over of the innings, and it doesn't look to be moving around very much. Uh, So, I would say that's a concern. And India are going to want to right some wrongs from their first day. So, the sun's come out as well, which is a a bit worrying. But when that oval pitch flattens out, it's it's a great pitch for batting so we shall yeah. see what happens hopefully a bit of overcast weather tomorrow morning and we can nip a few out I think Coley will be key as he always is I know he hasn't scored that many runs this series but he looks to be improving uh, and I would suggest that he looks a you know he, I think he's set for a big inning soon either this match or next match and I just hope we can keep him quiet for another three innings yeah he uh, sort of found a bit of form in the last game didn't he even though he didn't post a big score um, yeah, definitely, and I, I just, I just think this is a, this is an important innings. But third innings normally is really important in a Test match, yeah. and uh, we shall see. But look, we'll, I think, I think we did well in the first innings. Let's cross our fingers and hope we bowl well in this third innings. Um, or Robinson's just, just got on to swing a little bit. So fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, and what I'd like to do now, Rob, with us is we're going to do a quick segment on the Ashes team for the Winter Test Series in Australia. Uh, we're going to have a look and see what we the makeup of our 11 as it stands at the moment. So obviously, we've still got a test and a bit to go of the India Series. And there's a lot of time between now and November. But if I was to say to you, if we were going to Australia next week, Rob, what would be your 11 as it stands? Which 11 are you going with at the moment? It's, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's been so much rotation in the last well year or so of covid and bubbles and things and then there's also been so much inconsistency in the form of our batsmen especially um that it makes it so hard to pin down your best 11 but i'll, I'll give it a go so i'd, I'd open with burns and hamid milan at number three root at number four stokes if he's back I'm, I'm hopeful he'll be back for the ashes at number five butler at number six ali at number seven uh, then Wokes, Robinson, Archer and Anderson. Um, and the, the controversial parts of that is Pope, who's just posted a decent 80-odd um, runs to, to, to keep us in this game, is going to miss out. Bairstow, who he's been scoring runs, but getting out and not really being a sort of test match batsman. Um, Mark Wood has been absolutely class this series, but been in the side the last two games and then Stuart Broad you know second highest wicket taker for England in history but 
yeah, if you're not playing, you you sort of you lose your spot, don't you? Um, yeah, percent. Um, no, it's interesting, mate. And I think I think there's a few certainties in there at the moment. Um, I'd say I agree with Burns opening like you do. I think Root at four and Stokes at five, providing fitness, you'd think would be lock-ins. So those three are locked. Um, Ali at seven, you'd think would be the way we go. They look to have put their lot in with Ali, having one or two more years um, as the spinner, all-round spinner. Yeah. Uh, Wokes is bats you deep. I'd like to see Wokes in there with you. I don't think he's a lock. I think he's obviously, obviously Jimmy's going to play. Um, where I differ slightly is, well, Robinson, you think, would probably play based on this series. He's bowled really well. My worry is he's not quite quick enough for Australia, but let's cross that bridge mm. and we go over there. I do think, for me, it's a Broad or Robinson. One of them can play, but not both, because we yeah. can't carry too many 78-mile-an-hour bowlers in Australia. Agreed. And two, yeah. two is one too many. So we can only have that. For me, they're a very similar type of bowler. Very tall. Don't bowl particularly quick, but get a nice movement off the seam. Um, yeah, and good variations. I think, and, yeah, yeah, I think Robinson and Robinson and and Broad are kind of either or for me with Jimmy, as and then they have the new yeah. ball. And then Wokes for me is in the team because he's batting. And then for me it's Wood or Archer, but Archer doesn't look like he's going to be playing Test cricket anytime soon. Um, based on the injuries, it's not looking good on Joffre. So for me it's Wood. Yeah. And then Archer can be back up and we can bring him in if need be. If Wood gets, I'm never to believe Wood always gets injured at some point. Um, so for me, it'd be Wokes, Anderson, Broad or Robinson, and then Wood or Archer as a fast bowling unit of four. And then Ali's just all round spinner uh, at seven. And then yeah, I disagree. Yeah. You know, there's two I probably disagree with you on, um, which is I'd pick Bearstow over Butler. I'd actually pick Ben Folks if I'm really picking a keeper, to be honest, because he's the best keeper. However, I don't think England are going to do that. And I would say Bearstow for me is averaging more. I would say he's slightly better with the gloves than Butler. I think Butler's got a lot about him, but Test cricket does not seem to be agreeing with it at the moment. He hasn't scored run in Test cricket for ages. He's been he's been out of form. I think he hasn't played particularly well this summer. I think Bearstow mm. for me he scored runs in this test, not as many as he'd have liked, but he scored some runs. And I feel like he does a really good job in the engine room. And I can kind of rely on Bearstow to get stuck in, in in the middle order and hang about for 30 runs and possibly 60, 70 balls. Where Butler, I, I just you can't you can't trust him at all. He just seems to get out all the time at the moment. Um, so for me, yeah. I pick at the moment. I pick Best over Butler, um, and then I wouldn't pick Hamid. I think I, I love Hamid. I really, really, really want him to do well. But for me, he just keeps getting out. I mean, he's he's played in this series. He's had what three ducks in five innings. I want to say. Oh, I mean, it's pretty something it's like pretty that. Scary, yeah, scary, isn't it? He got a pair at Lords. He scored some runs in one of the innings uh, okay. last game at Headingley. Oh, I think it yeah. was bad once, didn't we? So he's got 16 in Headingley. And then he's got a duck in this. I mean, it's it's tough, isn't it? He's got three out of seven. I know, but who else, who else can open? So the two <laughs> Where players... Where are our openers? <laughs> well, this is, this, this is the issue. So for me, I would stick Milan at opener because I think he can do a job opening. I mean, he's practically opening, batting at three anyway with England's fragile openers anyway so he comes in after two yeah. overs anyway um and then the two players that i think probably we haven't mentioned are ollie pope who's just got 80 in this test match who i yeah. think will probably do a job at three if he's in nick and a player that i know dave who is currently is going to be preparing an 11 for next week's show um 
he loves this player, so I won't steal thunder from him too much. But James Vince is a player I know he rates highly. Um, so mm. I could see James Vince coming back in at three, especially if Milan's opening. And then Milan's such a steady cricketer. He just doesn't look like he's going to get out. I think he's a really good cricketer. He's done really well in the one-day game. Um, and he and he'll provide some pace, you know, he provides some, he scores runs at a decent clip. Um, and James Vince yeah. is a really good looking player who went to Australia before, of course, and did all right in Australia until he got out, run out at 80 and he just never quite recovered from it, it seemed. Um, and Ollie Pope's getting runs. So for me, I'd have Vince or Pope over Hamid and stick Milan at opener would be my two pennies worth anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, Hamid's on, Hamid's got, the rest of this test, and you'd think he'd play the last test. Um, and really, he's got a sort of post a, post a century, I'd, I'd say, in one of those three innings. And it'll be tough. The fourth innings, it'll be almost impossible to do that. So, yeah, he's basically <laughs> batting for his life at Old Trafford. Which um, is ironic, because he's a Lancashire lad. Uh, I know he's moved yeah. now. Um, but he, uh, it's ironic that he's he's gone back to Lanks to try and save his England career again um, yeah. because he does look a little bit lost even on that 60 at Headingley it was a struggle it was a slow 60 um, mm. so yeah so uh, I, I really would like Hamid to do well I think he's a, he was a wonderful player yeah he's not quite sure unfortunately um, with him in England and, and also the Ashes is going to going to Perth and facing the new ball partnership of you know um Hazelwood, Cummings, you know, um, yeah. the left arm of Stark. <laughs> well, it, well, it has ruined many a career going to an away Ashes yeah. series. And I think, I mean, yeah, so that's that's my 11 anyway. I, I, it sounds like we're similar sort of points of view. Um, yeah, that Alex's going to be the spinner. Wokes should play, in my opinion. He's good, he's, he can bat. Uh, and I think, I think, and for me, Jimmy's got to play every game. None of this rest and rotation malarkey with Jimmy. Jimmy's our best bowler. He's England's greatest ever bowler. Yeah. I know he's 40. I know he probably doesn't quite have the pace for Australian wickets. But if there's one player you give the he's ball to, the he's your wicket, it's yeah. him. So. The pressure. Yeah. But there you go. Those are our 11s for the Ashes. But, oh, sorry, my conclusion is we've got, we've got massive depth in the bowling department. Like, you, you know, we're sort of trying to find room for Broad and Wood and Archer and so on, um, but our batting lineup is very in, uh, very inconsistent. Well, Dave, Dave made the point to me. He said across the two teams, there's probably three batsmen who can actually bat at the moment. With you know, yeah. and Root being England's one, and then Smith and probably Labuschagne being Australia's ones, and like everyone else is kind of struggling. So. It's going to be a yeah. low-scoring series, I think, unless the Australian pitches, you know what they're like. Sometimes they can be absolute roads in Australia. So we shall see. Um, but look, lots to look forward to. And we'll be doing another Ashes 11 preview, if you like, probably in a month or two's time before we get to Australia. And obviously D- DCT is going to give us uh, his 11 for next week's show. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes out with. And we'll probably pre-record yeah. an interview with him for next week's show. Cool. So, shall we get on to our usual uh, ending to the show, which is talking about racing, Rob? Um, yeah. We obviously had, a, I hate to say it, we had a very good week last week on our naps and tips. Uh, between Rob and I, we gave you five horses. We had my nap one at five to one, which is run to freedom, which I was really pleased with that because I was really keen on that horse. 
um, and it won pretty well. I think he might have another win in him as well. So that's exciting. And my each way shout finished third, which was 20 to one a day to remember. And of course, Dancing King won for you at four to one or seven to two. Something like that, anyway, and um, pretty yeah. good day all round for us, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really good day. So yeah, nice to have a few winners on the board. Uh, let's move on to this weekend. We've got three decent cards at Ascot, Haydock, and Kempton. Group races at Haydock and Kempton, and some good handicaps at Ascot. Uh, what What are you thinking, Rob? Where would you like to start this week? Got two horses in handicaps at Ascot that I'd like okay. to tip up. So the first one is a horse called Chalk Stream in the 310 Lavazza Handicap, which is one mile, four furlongs for three-year-olds. Um, so it's he won its last two races and up eight pounds since its last win at Ripon. But the second in that race, of course, called Barn Owl, came out and won very nicely at Beverly. Um, so really frank in that form. The danger in that race is Wahan. Um, but actually, he was well beaten at York last time, and the handicapper hasn't hasn't dropped him in the weight. So, I'm not so worried about the sort of um, the fact that Wahan is the favourite in the race, and I'm um, I'm confident with Chalkstream. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, just looking at those two in isolation, Rob. Chalk Stream's obviously got a lot to like about it. Won its last two starts with the great William Haggis, who you know I love, uh, and won that race last time against Barnow, and Barnow's come out and won. So lots to tick the boxes there. Running off 94 for Her Majesty the Queen. Looks to be a decent bet, 6-1. to one. Wahan is 3-1, to one, so half the price at the moment. Um, but there is a lot to like about Wahan, so I would like to just extol its virtues for a second. You've got a three-year-old Michael Stout Colt, I mean, we always know Michael Stout takes a lot of time um, improving his horses. This is its first time over a mile and a half. Last time, it did finish fifth at York. However, before that, it won its last two starts before that, and it's been slowly getting up the handicap. In that run at York, it finished fifth. But looking at the race again, it looked like it was held up near the back, and it was denied a bit of a run. It didn't get a clear, clear run to begin with. Once it got going, it was a bit late, and it was one of them, and it only lost... I think like two or three lengths to the to the winner that day. It's certainly got an ex- unexposed profile, and you would think off a racing of ninety six, it's got quite a lot of improvement in it. Um, yeah. However, you're right at the prices, you are taking a bit of a chance in a pretty decent handicap. He's not too many runners. I think there's ten runners, but Rahan looks a decent horse to me. The three to one would put me off, but if I was going to pick a horse in a race that had probably most unexposed, I would pick Wahan, even though it was 3-1, to one, where Chalkstream looks slightly more exposed. He's run it a mile and a half three times now. Um, that was a good win last time out. It'll be interesting battle between the two, but I do quite like Wahan, even though he is 3-1. to one. But um, I can completely see why you'd like the great William Haggis um, with with an improving qu- the manager of the Queen horse. So um, I can completely see that. No, very nice, mate. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, I, sorry, go on. Shall I? I've got a couple of Ascot as well. So okay. I've got one in the 345. I'm hoping we, we both have a horse in the so same race. I've got one in the three. Have you? Right. Nice. Uh, oh, I'm hoping it's the same horse. I'd really like it's the same horse. Uh, I've picked out a horse called Ripoff, uh, yes. which is 11. <laughs> have you? Yeah. It's bound to win. It's bound to win. Uh, yeah, so, it's a double now. No. Surely. 
uh, as as you know, uh, it ran sand down uh, a few weeks ago over seven furlongs. A bit of a seven furlong specialist, uh, but it was um, before that. He hasn't actually been seen on the course for almost two years. Uh, loves good ground, so loves it the quicker the better. It'll be good round at Ascot tomorrow. Uh, loves big handicaps. Has got great form in at Ascot in a handicap over seven furlongs on good to firm ground off a racing of 94 in the Cunard, which is a very decent seven furlong route handicap two years ago. Uh, it's actually rated now 87. So you've got a drop of seven pounds there. It had its prep run, if you like, after its long absence, um, which came last in, but he needed the run because he'd been two years off the track. It's got a seven pound claimer on board. The great David Ellsworth trains it. For me, you don't know if he's still got the ability at seven. However, I'm required to take the chance at 11 to one because he should be chucked in off that mark if he's still the same horse he was two years ago. Completely agree, Dan. Uh, I actually noted his form figures in seven furlong Ascot handicaps and they read first, third, first, second, fifth, fourth, second, and then 13th. But that 13th, you can put a line through because... That was the race he picked up an injury that ruled him out for two years. So he's and th- those hand those races were all twenty or more in the field. So yeah. basically, every every single one of them, you would have got a place payout. And this horse, so, yeah. we we went to Newmarket um, in I want to say it was the July course a couple of years ago. Uh, where it's yeah. safe on banking because I hadn't backed a winner all day and it was the last race of the day I think and he won at 6-1 to one. It absolutely safe hiking. yeah he won off a rating of 89 over a mile at Newmarket in 2018 where we were together and it, yeah. it ran a beautiful race that day I think it really likes good to firm ground I think it'll be good good to firm tomorrow hopefully and yeah I can see and I'm really really pleased we picked out the same horse I'm really really chuffed about that because that never happens uh, so yeah fantastic uh, and yeah, brilliant. Any more for Ascot? I've got one more Ascot. Any more Ascot? Uh, no, you go ahead, Dan. Uh, so I've just got one more Ascot, which is a horse I really like. The Rob will laugh when I say his name, which is a horse called Potmaster, which uh, I backed at Royal Ascot uh, and it finished uh, eighth. It came third next time out in a very decent handicap at Newmarket on the July course. Then one at Doncaster, time after that, off a mark of 90. It's been put up to 95. Last time it ran on Sherville Cup Day, finished down the field. Well, down the field, finished fifth. Ran a, ran a decent race. I still think it's very well handicapped to 95. The other thing I like is I looked at this last night and he was 7-2. to two. He is now best price 11-4. to four. So, actually, he's been back since last night. He's got Ryan Moore on board. He, he's done well in big handicaps. He's going over six furlongs, which I think is decent. I think prefer him over six than five. And I think he's got every chance, but it is getting to a point where 11 to 4 is a bit skinny for me. But I do quite like it at 11 to 4. So Popmaster's a horse I quite like, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yes, I remember you tipping him up and he, I think it was the Doncaster race where he got beaten by a nose. Yeah, good times. Yeah, he's he's not, he's not been the prolific winner, but I do think he's a decent horse. And I do think 95 still underestimates him. Uh, And Ryan Moore is up, so... Got, I've got good good feeling he's going to run a big race tomorrow. Yeah, Rob, where would you like me to take take me next? Um, so I've just got one more 
race I wanted to talk about, which is the big race of the day, the um, Sprint Cup at Haydock, um, which is the Group 1, over six furlongs, and all of the big name sprinters are there. Can I predict Um, which horse you're going to tip up in this race, Rob? Go for it. I, I, I'm not saying I'm tipping it up, but I wrote it down because I thought you would tip it up. So I'm going to say Rob <laughs> is going to tip up Glenn Shiel at 16 to 1. Correct. <laughs> and, what, and another horse as well. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't know you'd picked up to a uh, horse that you also love. Surely is Summerhand. So you're going to tip up as well. You Correct. Love <laughs> Very predictable, this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> People who tune in every week will be thinking, God, they just tip up the same horses the same every week. Horses. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, tell us yeah. why those well, two uh, you like, Rob. Around, anyway. Um, so, I think Starman's the worthy favourite. He looked yeah. class in the July Cup, um, but it's something like evens money for for a, like a, whatever, how many runners, 15 runner race. Um, Glenn Shield is 14 to 1. Didn't really perform at Deauville last time out in the big Group 1 sprint there, um, but a classy horse on his day and was second in this last year. Um, and then Summergand, 20 to 1 with Skybet paying four places, um, was having a pretty poor summer after a very good winter and spring, um, but was back to his best last weekend, winning a listed race at Newmarket last weekend with a £5 penalty. So um, one day Summergand will win a Group 1, <laughs> and that day I want to be back at him. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, a model of consistency. I mean, Summerhand is a serious horse and has been for many years. I mean, the worry is he's not quite Group 1, especially as a seven-year-old. But he seems to be in better form than ever, doesn't he? I mean, that was a pretty good success, that listed success last time. He won by two and a half lengths as well. And they weren't he made all the running, ran a, ran a decent pace and won by like two lengths in the end. So. Well, he won by two and a half lengths. From Tab Deed, who was rated 110, and he was giving five pounds to. So really, he yeah. ran to a mark of 115. Well, 115 means he's only four pounds behind Starman. So yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot to like about him. I can see why you think fondly of him. I would still go on the side of the fence. Of I think he's going to be asking for a lot. I actually, out of the two of those, I do prefer Glenn Shield. Glenn Shield's an amazing horse, isn't he? Because he just always seems to be in the mix placing yeah. big prices all the time second at Royal Ascot you know won the uh, Ascot champion sprint you know he just he always seems to be there or thereabouts didn't run a great race at Deauville last time but you know going over to France it is a bit further it's six and a half furlongs rather than six yeah just, just stretched him out a little bit to be honest um, won a really good race you know he's He's just, he's just a very, very consistent horse and there's a lot to like about him. Personally, I think if I was going to have a bet in this race, which I might not because um, I'm not too sure about it, but I do quite like Creative Force at 6-1. to one. I think he's a pretty safe each-way bet. Seems to run very consistently. He's only three. He's won at Royal Ascot. He won the uh, jersey at Royal Ascot this year, over seven. I think he runs a very consistent six, seven furlong race, and I think he'll be in the mix again. I think six to one kind of is quite a sort of cover your money sort of bet. A bit of a boring bet, but I quite like Creative Force, but I probably won't have a bet in that race, but I do like Creative Force. Um, anything else at Haydock, Rob? No, that was it for my racing tips for this okay. week. And obviously at Kempton, we've got two Group 3 races. You've got the September Stakes over a mile and a half. 
bit of a disappointing field this year, but but decent race. I thought I'd just mention one horse in the Serena Stakes, which is the two-year-old six furlong race. It's a horse I quite like called Nymphadora. Nymphadora for Andrew Balding. Uh, won a five furlong listed race at York earlier in the season in the Dante meeting. Ran in the Lowther um, in the Ebor meeting and finished fifth. But he was leading in that and looked very nice. And time formed pretty scathing about him in there uh, right up the race, saying that he wasn't good enough rather than falling out of uh, stamina. I don't quite agree with that. I think on form, on ratings, he's one of the best horses in this race. And at 11 to 2... I think he might be just worth a little nibble for me. Uh, and I think he's in much calmer, she is in much calmer waters in the Serena Stakes. There aren't huge, you know, there's some decent horses that are rated high 80s, early 90s. Nymphadora's rated 99 and she's run a big race in that Lowther. That's a decent old race. The, the danger for me is Scott's Grace, which is unexposed, hasn't got a rating yet. It's only run once and won at Kempton in a novice two months ago. So interesting to see why she hasn't made the uh, course since but for me Nymphadora is a pretty decent bet at uh, 11 to 2 yeah Nymphadora is one that caught my eye in that race as well so uh, yeah so oh it's interesting well well to be honest Rob we 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 know what the nap is now I was going to do it as Popmaster but after we both tipped up rip off I'm going to have rip off as my nap of the week 11 to 1 me too double double nap double nap rip off at 11 to 1 and it might be a rip off from the bookies uh, if he comes last. But we shall hope that he's still got it in him, the old boy. And uh, 11 to one's a good price. Rob, it's been a pleasure as always, mate. Uh, thank you for joining me this evening. Um, thank you for listening at home. And uh, we shall see you next week. Good night. Cheers.